Welcome to the Inspired Wild Podcast. I'm Trevin Stoltzfus, and I'm here at the Colorado Springs Sportsman and Boat Show. We've had a great day. I'm sitting here with Dave Howard and uh, ERT Targets. Now, I see you have JMA Outdoors, and explain what's that. What we did is we... We created an outdoor company, so we're a wholesale company here in Colorado named JMA Outdoors, and that's actually named after my three children. That's their initials, because it's a family, um, family-owned company because of our family desire to make an impact in the hunting industry that we also passionately love. Right, right, sure. And with that, we created and developed our ethical range target. And so we're the exclusive wholesaler and online retailer at this time for our effective range targets that we have labeled as an ERT target. Right, right. Well, um, I was listening a little bit, and you and I have talked some behind the scenes yeah. here. I go, I do a, uh, a presentation on finding out your effective range, uh, Phil, Phil Mendoza's uh, alpha bow hunting mm-hmm. uh, process. And it was amazing how many similarities there were in developing your effective range archery and what you guys are doing using this target system. Talk us through that and, 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 and you know, kind of explain the importance of even with a rifle, we need to know our effective range. Let me step back just one step before that and tell you kind of why we started this. Sure, sure. One of the things we saw is we've seen the aging of the hunting population. We've seen the decreased participation in hunting. We also finally understood as a family how it's not the hunters or the anti-hunters that are going to allow us to continue to have a hunting heritage. It's society in general. Correct. So we looked at society and says, what does society want from hunters? They want hunters to respect the animal. If we do hunt, they want the animal to be treated humanely, to not suffer. They want the animal to be used as a resource for meat and other things. Right. So when we looked at that situation, we said, what could we do? And what we did was develop the effective range target as an answer to some of those things. Mm. Because we want society to look on hunters as people that respect the animal, that understand ethics and ethical distance we'll talk about in a minute, and how important it is for us to know the distance we should shoot, whether with a bow and arrow or a rifle or a muzzleloader, how far can we shoot and have a one-shot humane kill so the animal doesn't suffer. We don't wound it. We don't track it. We don't blow off a leg. And society wants us to be that way. So we have a target that we developed that we think as hunters use it, and recreational shooters use it, can push that thought into society that we truly are respectful of the animal and ethics is a part of everything we do in our hunting decision process. So that kind of overshadowed our decision and helped us define how we created the target. Okay. So with that, we created a target that we wanted hunters to want to buy because it would make them more successful, give them a better experience, and really maybe even help them um, be admired by their hunting buddies. Because who doesn't want to be more successful, have better experiences, and everybody in hunting camp respects you for the shot you are. 
Right, that makes sense. And, and so we wanted that. So we decided to accomplish that in what society wanted. We needed to develop a target that was based upon the vital size of each animal. Right. And the vital size, of course, is the lungs and heart that if you shoot into that wheelhouse, that you would expect a one-shot humane kill. Quickly. Quickly. Right. And that's what everybody desires. Right. And we call it, in, in archery, we call it, we call it popping the balloon. Pop in the balloon, right? You know, in the wheelhouse, right? Um, everybody have terms for it. So we created a target that that is animal specific because I a, think that's important. Well, it's huge, and we have some examples here at the show that that show you the elk target, and we have a white tail underneath it, and both targets. The people that shot it were rated at 200 yards. But if you'd extrapolate the bullets down from the elk target to the whitetail target, that person would have only been rated at, at ethically being able to shoot at that animal if it was 100 yards or closer, not 200 yards like the elk was. Right. So each target is animal specific, and our target is designed that these are to set at 100 yards, shoot at it a minimum of five times, the bullet farthest away from the center bullseye, whatever ring that is in, that's your ethical distance you could shoot for that animal and expect under the best conditions to have a one-shot humane kill. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do my best to to, to give give the the audience a word picture of what this is. So imagine a target. It is not, you see a backdrop of an elk on the elk target. Now it's just a silhouette. You're not actually shooting at that silhouette. You're shooting at a big circle. And that circle is a certain uh, uh, diameter that would be equal to that specific animal's kill zone, if we want to call it that, okay? As seen at 100 yards. As seen at 100 yards. Yep. So then, there's eccentric rings that go in on that hundred yard outside uh, bold uh, circle it says a hundred yard ring then you move in and let's say halfway into the circle there's another ring it's a little smaller but it has 200 yards and three four five six and each of those rings eccentrically get smaller and what you're saying is at at 400 yards that's what that kill zone looks like. Even though you're shooting at 100, we're, we're putting ourselves in a condition to where if basically the error that we at 100 yards is going to manifest itself in even more error. And therefore, if you're outside of that ring, you should not be shooting at something Absolutely. at 400 yards. I got you. And so the 400 yard ring is actually that dark 100 yard ring dimension. If you move that ring to 400 yards away, that's what it would appear at, at 100 yards. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. okay. So you're able at 100 yards to get a lot of quality, scientific-backed information that can you can then extrapolate, okay, look, I'm a 200-yard shooter. I thought I was a 400-yard shooter, but I'm not consistently, because we're always looking at that one bullet that's furthest away from the center point. Yes, exactly. Okay. okay. And we've had a lot of people come and shoot three, four times, and then they go, oh, I pulled that one. It doesn't count. We go, yes, it does. It always counts. Because it always counts. And in the field, sometimes it's not a perfect condition. 
and whatever caused you to pull it when you're practicing could happen in the field. Very so easy. it's always mm -hmm. the worst shot, not your first shot, not the best shot, not the average of shots. Right. The bullet furthest away right. is your ethical distance rating. And, um, and then, of course, if I look over to the right, I've got an antelope, which is much smaller, perhaps even half the size of an elk, which I think is, is pretty realistic for sure. And, and what that's going to do is it's, we have a smaller target to begin with. Therefore, our error uh, coefficient, I don't know if I use that word. I just made that up. That's um, right. Our, our, error, like our error is going to be manifest itself uh, more prominently in a bad hit if we're six inches out there versus if we're six inches out on a on an elk target and and that is as you extrapolate that that even grows greater if you want to shoot longer distances on the antelope versus the elk because you have that bigger bucket to hit at on the right. elk versus the antelope mm -hmm. and two Antelope, because of their size, historically, people misjudge the distance because they don't have a good correlation of animal size right. in the scope. They're not used to that. Right, sure. And even people with rangefinders today, especially antelope, you're hunting a lot of times, you got the heat waves going across and your, your rangefinder right. won't click on them. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, oh, that antelope is 400 yards away and it's really 600 yards away. Right, right. And uh, what we did too is we, we referenced and went to everybody's favorite professor, Google, okay? Mm -hmm. And professor Google won't give you the vital size of animals. So we spent months working with biologists and taxidermists and some of the best universities across the country in getting the true representation of the average size animal. Now, uh, all of our targets to date are for a male mature animal. So our antelope target is a buck mature pronghorn. Mm -hmm. Our elk is a bull elk target. Uh, it's a buck deer target. And, and we know that typically the males are a little bigger, okay? Right. But that's what the targets are sized off of. So everything has been really scientifically um, determined to make sure that the representative of those um, vital sizes are in a range, because we know animals are vary, right. in a range that really represents a true a vital size for a person to use in their practice. And I think uh, we do this a similar thing. We don't, uh, in, uh, with the alpha bull hunting, we, we didn't necessarily reach out to the, probably as scientific as you did, but what we did is we took the average chest depth yep. of, a, of a bull elk, 26 to 27 inches. Mm -hmm. And then you look at where the lungs are in relation to, you know, the, the no-go zone right between the spine, right. you know, spine and, and, then you, and you got yep. the low brisket shot, okay, and we X those out. And then Phil extrapolated that down, and we came out with like a 14 inches, right? But, oh, if you're left, you're hitting the shoulder blade, so we can't shoot. So we even took it down a little bit yeah. further, mm -hmm. and I think the average of what we came up with for elk was 9 inches because of the fact a bullet, we're not worried about a shoulder with a rifle, where if an arrow hits a shoulder of an elk, you're 
Absolutely. You, you know, you're just going to wound that yeah. animal. So, so there's a little bit difference, but but the, in theory, we're doing concept is the yeah, same. Yeah, it's very same. It now, is. I want you to tell me about this shooter that you were telling me about uh, when, right before we started. That is a quality, qualified, ranked shooter that you had to do some testing yeah. for you. We we work with a gentleman named uh, Weston Trap, and he is a ex Army sniper. And uh, in 2011, he competed in the World Sniper Championships, and he placed 18th in the world. Wow. And he has since retired, not in the military, um, but he has worked with us, and we have dozens of his targets he shot. But what we're showing today at the show is some of those that he shot. And so one of them that I showed you was a mule deer target. And he was shooting over a backpack, and our target rates him at 400 yards. And this is number 18 in the world. 18th in the world. Now, when he was in the military, he would shoot 200 rounds a day. That's 10 boxes of shells a day. So 1,000 rounds a week. Wow. And then before they would go out, they would have a practice session before they went on their... Mission. Mission. Right. Now, he would... He would tell you if you gave him a few weeks to shoot uh, 200 rounds a day, he'd tighten those all up and be amazing. But what he does admit, he loves our targets because as a hunter, he has to take up his sniper Superman cape and say, I'm an average or above average hunter with skills to shoot 400, 500, 300, but he is not about taking that long distance thousand yard shot even though with the proper equipment and he has the proper training he could mm -hmm. so it's really neat to have a long-range shooter shoot these give us input and also say that he likes our targets because they're going to show that not everybody can do what he did as a sniper right so it's a balance of what you personally can do what your equipment can do okay and the conditions you're in and then you get to make the decision right okay and decisions vary by people the big thing he believes in is only to shoot your limits know your limits okay make sure that fair chase is first your effective range is second that ethical distance you can shoot for one shot clean kill mm -hmm. then you get to make your decision and and Fair Chase, he's helped us break down into two areas. One is everything has to be legal. Right. Right animal, right day, right time, right unit, right bullet. If you're supposed to be wearing orange, you're wearing orange. Sure. Everything, dot and tittle, legal. Okay. Right. Then Fair Chase to him is making sure that the animal, their natural abilities and defense mechanisms are part of the challenge and the equation of the experience. Then you take that, add it to your effective range, then you as a hunter have enough data to make that personal decision. Good. Because when you pull that trigger, it's a private moment that you've got to own what you do. You can't take it back. You can't take it back. And, and here in our booth today, we have a, a little... A sign up front that's with on the left are three check boxes. Ever wounded an animal? Question mark. Lost it? Question mark. Remember that feeling? Question mark. Don't let it happen again. I have to tell you and the listeners, I would have to check all three of those boxes as a hunter. 
okay? Me too. And I've wounded an animal. I've lost an animal. I will never forget that feeling. Yes. It's not good. And, and we don't want others to have to experience that bad experience to learn from it. Right. And so we say that let our ERT target help you not have that feeling again. Learn what your ethical distance is and shoot within your limits. You're going to be more accurate. You're going to have a better experience. And your friends are going to want to be like you because you're going to appear to be a better shot than all them because you know how far you can really shoot. Right. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, right now, there is a, uh, I don't know if you want to call it a movement, but, but there's definitely a niche in the industry of this long-range shooting in the hunting situation. Yes. I go, I can spend $2,500 and get a best of the West gun. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the exact cost is, but, you know, and then another X number of dollars and get this scope that I dial in. And um, then uh, in theory, it's not, I don't know if it's said directly, but it's sure implied that then I could go out there and make those six to 800 yard shots. So my question on that, and uh, th something I've always had a problem with is two, twofold. I do believe that there is a art and a discipline to long-range shooting. No doubt about it. No doubt. And, but I believe that, first of all, we don't all have that skill. We don't all have that training. And I think it's very slippery soil the moment we say, if you buy this, you can do that. Because we are implying that we're taking all of the, all of the what-ifs out of it, and you just pull the trigger. But what if you jerk the trigger? I mean, there's so many factors there. There's so much skill that comes into that behind a very, very expensive marksman rifle. And we translate that to out of breath because we had to run up to the ridge to get the shot. And now we're supposed to make this 800-yard shot. And um, in a way, I, I worry that people aren't, aren't self-policing. And, and they're going, well, I have the gun that'll do it. Well, I have a bow that will shoot a bullseye every time. I can't do it, but my bow could. Your if bow I can. set it up in a uh, spot hog hooter shooter, and I could literally put an arrow in the same hole at 20 yards every time. But I can't do that. No. So with a rifle, I think we have a little bit of that. How, how would you respond to somebody who is in that position? Well, I... From our experience, and, and, and we tell you that, first of all, we've got the 18th of the world best shooter right. you've from got 2011 some pretty good experience, right. that, that can really tell us that no matter how good equipment you have, you have to practice. So if you're a hunter and you buy the, let's say the whole package is 10 grand, right. and you buy that and you go out and do a two-day shooting school and you learn all these skills... We would tell you that shooting is a diminishing skill. And if you're not willing to put the practice in daily to hone that skill, maintain the skill, then that skill disappears. Okay? Yes. So, number one, you have to admit that from the first. Number two, um, we just went to a long-range women's shooting school in Texas with Divas Wow out of Texas, a women's group that's fabulous. And uh, we had a one of the best known army sniper instructors in the world was there teaching these women. They were using a Remington rifle that's about a $3,500 gun. 
They were using a Tremor 2 or a Tremor 3 scope, about three grand. Then they all had to use a thousand dollar, eight hundred and fifty to a thousand dollar Kestrel. Okay. Okay. Right. Yeah. And for your listeners, if you don't know what a Kestrel is, you really shouldn't be shooting long distance. Right. Okay. Right. I, I don't shoot long distance, and I know what I a Kestrel yeah. is. So a Kestrel is a handheld piece that will measure the wind. It, it you've loaded your ballistics in it. It takes in Coriolis, the the hundred mile an hour speed that the Earth is spinning right. from west to east. It takes all these calculations, feeds them to you. So what I learned was, if you're going to use a mill scope to shoot long distance, you need a mill rangefinder, or you got to have a MOA rangefinder and an, an MOA, MOA scope. scope. Right. And in in talking to others, I have found that when you look at things, they say the best shot in a sniper team is not the sniper. The one with the most knowledge is the spotter. Mm. They're the ones reading the wind, reading the distance, giving the shooter the tech, the technical how to the data, the data, mm-hmm. okay, to make that shot with. So even if, and I'm going to point out to you, and you can tell the listeners on each of the sh- targets that 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 we had shot by Weston, there's an extra bullet hole outside the ring. He didn't have a spotter. He picked a spot, shot it, saw it, he responded to what he thought his zero was for that day, those conditions, that wind. Then he took that, extrapolated new data, adjusted the scope, then shot that. I noticed okay. that. Yeah, I noticed there was a, a, an extra bullet hole, and, and it, each one of them is circled. And there's uh, scribbling. Uh, scribbling on there. Okay. And that only means something to somebody smarter than me. Yeah. Okay. But so I say, okay, if you're going to go to the level of buying that equipment, understanding it, going to a $2,000 uh, long range shooting school, you're going to practice enough. Okay. So let's just extrapolate for the listeners a thing. Snipers. Okay. A point of fact, in Afghanistan today, the average sniper shot is 375 yards. Okay. Okay. The average sniper, it's not, their kill ratio is 2.2 shots to make that happen. Not one, not two. Their average now is just over two in Afghanistan. So when we purport that we're a one-shot humane kill... You're going to have to shoot better than a sniper in Afghanistan. They're practicing a thousand rounds a week. Are you committed to shoot that much? I can't afford to shoot can't that afford much. much. And only in the military can you. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So if you shoot a hundred boxes, a hundred rounds a week. Okay. First of all, we can't afford that, you and I even. But mm-hmm. if you did that, that's 10 times less than a sniper. They're averaging two shots per kill. We want you to do it in one. So when I add all that up, you're going to have to be a pretty exceptional individual when you make that private decision to pull the trigger for you to believe in your heart that you really are going to make a one-shot humane kill on that animal. I got to say you're, you're, you're one out of a 
thousand, maybe one out of a hundred thousand. I don't know the number, but when you take all that information in, I think it kind of leads us to saying, just because you buy the Huskama scope and everything else, can you make that shot? You mean you mainly? is a decision that you have to base it off of a whole bunch of decisions. Right. Buying the gun, buying the scope, buying the Kestrel, buying the, the shooting class, paying for the money of the bullets to practice, having a place to go practice a thousand yards or whatever distance you right. want. Okay. And we can tell you from the hundreds of people that have shot our targets, there is not many in the group that you would say, aha, that guy's got the ability to go further than 600 yards so that's how it answers i think it's a personal decision i think there's a lot of factors that would tell me i'm not part of that group okay and when you think about it a lot of people when they would judge that would say that's not part of them and then our mantra is fair chase first right so we got to you know the legal side but more importantly how's the animal involved now, I can tell people, I tell people this story. I, I was hunting a specific animal. I didn't get it, but I hiked three miles around a mountain to approach that animal from a different direction because of the wind, okay? Because if I knew I went a different route, it'd smell me and spook. Right. So their natural tendencies, their defense mechanism played a huge part in that hunt. Right. It made me walk three miles through high in the mountains to right. just get around to get a chance in it. So right. how you measure their involvement is um, important. We think that most average hunters that, and hunters don't practice enough. We'll say that right now. We think our targets promote practice and we want them to practice more. But most average hunters shouldn't shoot over 300 yards. I, I would agree with that. Okay. I would agree with so that. So if you want to do more than that, I think you've got to really have some circumstances. And my belief is if you want to shoot over four to 600 yards, you've got to really have some tremendous things going on that would allow you personally to make that decision. I think a mentor... You would almost, in order to be able to really consistently shoot further than that, you would need somebody who has the experience as a a sniper or or somebody who has the experience that will motivate you to practice. Absolutely. And I think just like in archery, I think it's it's the same thing. Um, Do you find this to be true in in rifle hunting? like in archery hunting, I have encountered individuals, and I truly believe they think if I can just get one arrow in them, I'll put another one in them. And it, that's not the type, that's not the mindset we as hunters should have. Because if I'm just getting an arrow in a buck or a bull so that I can hope to get a second arrow, I probably shouldn't be shooting that first arrow. Yeah. And I think, I think we do that with rifles too. I think let's just get a bullet in them, we'll get another one in them. Yeah, and um, we see that and we hear a lot because people that come by love to share hunting stories with us. And they'll, we ask how many shots it took and, and those kind of things. And we see a lot of people that say, hey, maybe I'm not good enough to make that first shot, but I might be able to slow it down. I might get a better shot of uh, those type of things. So we see that as a mindset with some people. Um, we also think that is an excuse. 
they haven't practiced enough, and they've got to give a reason to a buddy of why they didn't make that shot. So we've got to be honest with ourselves about that. We also think, I also think that as people, as, as hunters, we have to go back to that original um, <laughs> kind of sign curve that we talked about earlier about, you know, we have 4.5% 4, 4 of America hunts. You got 8% of America that's anti-hunting. And so it's that middle, you know, percentage of people that's going to allow us our heritage they don't want us part of ethics is we are measured by society whether we want to be or not as hunters okay and society doesn't want you going around shooting the animal two three four times to get it because when they see the animal running and it's hurt they picture that you don't respect the animal Right. You're not interested in it being a, a humane one-shot kill. You're just out there to kill something. Yeah. Okay? And so it's that, it's, it's the image that we portray, and people say, well, no one's out there to know. Well, yes, they do, because hunters have a tendency to tell people about their experience, and people hear about it. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of hunters that come along and want to use our targets. They want to give them to their hunting buddies because they don't want to chase the animals because their hunting buddies don't know how far they can shoot. Right. And so they want to use our target as a teaching tool. And I think it's a great and, one. And we do too. And that's why we develop because if, if you aren't getting that one-shot kill, our target's going to help you. If you want to hunt elk here in Colorado, which is one of the greatest things life can ever bring you is elk yeah. hunting. Oh, yeah. And you want to shoot 300 yards at an elk, you take our target, you practice it from different hunting positions until you find one that you can keep all five bullets in that ring. And when you do, you should have confidence that you could shoot that far Right. as you add in other conditions. You run up the hill, you better be able to catch your breath, have enough time, Compensate. Maybe you're in a steadier position that you're rated out to 400 or 500 yards on. And that's the only position you can make that 300-yard shot on because of the conditions. Maybe right. it's windy. Maybe it's cold. Maybe it's whatever. Right. Because when it's cold or you have gloves on, when you have gloves on and you try to pull that trigger, it's a different game, it's guys. It's a total different Totally field. different thing. Yeah. And so you've got to understand that a one MOA gun and a one, one MOA shooter doesn't equal two MOA. Right. We've got conditions that can drive it to a two, three, four, five, six MOA or a no-go. Right. And, and we use the same principles. We call it the DEA. I say we. Phil and his program. Right. Um, it's it's D stands for distance. So we've done the testing to see what's effective. But then you, E stands for the elements, and yeah. um, you know with with just as in bullet, wind can can wreak havoc on your accuracy. And then the A stands for animal behavior. And I think animal behavior for an archer maybe be a little bit more uh, because it doesn't travel as fast. Right. Um, uh, you know, an alert deer at forty yards is not like shooting at a forty yard target. An unalert deer, maybe, but even an unalert deer can hear the sound and can and has time to react. Um, whereas a rifle, at, you know, at a certain distance, the bullet just travels too fast. But I still think when you're starting to push those long distances, that is a factor. We talked about earlier. 
at 600 yards, how much does a bull elk have to move at a half of a step? And now it's, you've just shot it in the guts, yep. you know, and you're completely off of a target that would have been popping the balloon, making that one shot kill. So it, you know, I, I do think uh, it, 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 there's so many crossovers here. That's what there excites is. me. It, it, is, it is exciting because as an industry, we have to embrace this. And what we have found this target, and you have in your archery, is this is fabulous for new hunters. We're seeing a big influx of women mm-hmm. in the in the hunting world. And when we took these targets to Texas, um, a couple of the women afterwards said it was the most empowering target they've ever been around because the target told them that they could go ethically hunt a whitetail and it told them what distance they could and have an ethical shot. Right. And what they said, it wasn't my husband telling me. Right. It wasn't you, Dave. The target and I, we did it together, and it told me what my ability was. Right. And we need that. We've had a, we've had parents here in Colorado give their kid a target and say, okay, before I'll take you hunting, you got to get all five shots in this circle. And until you do, I can't take you hunting. That's right. And that's how we're going to teach those new hunters and the new generation ethical shooting and hunting that can be pushed into their experience. And once they learn it, they'll never give it up. It's a teaching tool. And it's so simple. And that's the same way your archery thing is, is it's once you learn it and you apply it, it's instant field knowledge. It's not It's not something like you learn in school that you don't think you're ever going to use geometry or something. It's something practically right. that when you see it, and it says that you can shoot 40 yards for an archer or 200 yards for an elk, you can take that and apply it to your hunting life right away. Te- Texas did a study and in its study, the decision to whether you could take or make the shot was number 12 on the decision list. Okay? And so for your listeners, there's a selling psychology that has been around for 50 or 60 years that when you're selling, you want to get the person you're selling to to say yes to you five times. Right. Like say, can we go sit in the dining room? They go, yes. Mm -hmm. Can I sit in this chair? Yes. That's two of your five yeses. Because in sales, when you get to the sixth yes, and that's when you're asking them for the sale, Mm -hmm. they are predisposed to say yes. So think of a hunter at question number 12. He's answered 11 things yes. And he gets to, can I make this shot number 12? Guess what he's presupposed to say? Yes. Yes. We want, and you want with archery, people in those first three decisions. Is this legal? Is it fair chase? So is it legal? Is the animal involved? And is it within my effective range? Then you make your decision. You then have a real opportunity to make a just and fair decision. And you've made that before with our targets. We say we sell them in packs of five because we think every hunter has five favorite positions. So if you're going to hunt mule deer or elk or, or antelope, you would go rate yourself on all five positions so that you've predisposed your decision. If that elk gets up at 280 yards, you've already made the decision. I have to kneel down or better before I take that shot. Right. So you've already made the decision, 
before the before yeah. the hunting situation is there. And that's the key. That's because, the key. Because I, I think uh, Phil preaches this, and I totally agree with this. If you haven't thought about that before you go out, and you haven't worked through these prior to, you are much more conditioned to make a bad shot. And that's archery, that's rifle, that's shotgun. I don't care. No, you're right. So in a situation like with me, I found out when I went through, worked through my effective range, I was not as effective from my knees as I was standing. Okay? A lot of it has to do because I've had eight knee surgeries and I just can't get down. Different circumstances, different people. But I'm not as comfortable. And I am less... I am much more less effective shooting from my knees than I am standing. And so in a situation where I get out there and I, out of breath, whatever, doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's all the same uh, whether I'm kneeling or I'm out of breath. If I kneel or I'm out of breath, I'm standing. Exactly. I have to con- contain myself. And a lot of times I will try and put myself in a standing position. Because I know that's where I'm the most effective. Yes. So. And what we want to do is remove doubt. You're going you're gonna to have the confidence because you've practiced, shot our targets, and they keep telling you you can. It's going to remove that doubt as part of the question mark. You've practiced. You know you have that ability. So then you can measure what other circumstances are there. Uh, my son and I have different favorite hunting positions. Mm-hmm. He's a lot younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have different positions, but we want to make that decision beforehand. Because yeah. otherwise, emotion gets the best of us. Mm-hmm. And we see that in situations, too. The listeners will know. Last day, you've hunted all week. You haven't seen a thing. The animal you're hunting jumps up. Last day of the season, are you going to take the shot or not? Emotion may say, yes, I haven't seen anything. I think I can make that shot. Okay? And so sometimes situations lead us to a bad decision. Okay? The more you practice and play those decision factors in your mind, the better chance you have to make the right decision. Okay? Um, my son knows for me, when I kneel down and I pull the gun up, kneeling's my favorite position. He knows I'm serious because he knows I understand kneeling, how good right. I am on all the animals. And if I kneel down, it means I'm going to shoot. Gonna Something's going to happen. Right. And, and he knows that in watching me because he knows that kneeling isn't his favorite position. Okay. But I know too. And so it's a different way to measure. But we want hunters, young and old, experienced and inexperienced, beginning I've hunted for, last year was my 50th year in Colorado, okay? Um, I'm a fifth generation native to Colorado. Um, Hunted here my whole life. When I started, you had to be 14. Mm -hmm. So if you're good at math, 50 and 14, you know how old I am, okay? But when I started, the kind of thing you did was your judgment, and we say it within our family, good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. So we want people to not have the feeling I had when I wounded an animal or I lost an animal. We don't want you to have that bad experience for you to learn good judgment in those hunting situations. Right. And we think that's what your target does for archery and ours does for rifle. 
The other thing we want to do with our target is this. We want recreational shooters to shoot this because this target is just fun to shoot right. at. I can, I can okay. see it would be fun. Because, two, every ring on this means something. On an NRA target, a seven ring doesn't mean anything. Here, the rings, you can have contests of distance and skill ability on every target. So we want it to be fun. So if you're just a recreational shooter, think about having a target that's fun to shoot. You set it 100 yards and it lets you practice out to 600 yards. And what we want is recreational shooters to shoot this, have fun with it, and then one day realize, you know, I could go be successful hunting deer. Because we like to steal a couple of those recreational shooters right. and move Bring them, them into, into, the the fold. Yeah. into the hunting industry. Right. Because there is 11, there were 11.5 million hunters in the 2016 Fish and Wildlife Survey. Of those, 9 million of them were big game hunters. In that same survey, there's 45 million recreational shooters. They shoot for recreation, they shoot to practice self-defense, but there's 45 million of them. We want to steal a couple million of you guys right. and push you into the right. hunting ranks. Right. Because these targets are going to tell you that it's fun and that you're able to. Mm -hmm. Humanely, one-shot kill. We love that teaching to a whole nother division of shooters. Right. And we want to do that. Another, I'm a math guy, you'll, you'll notice that. That there were 3.8 million recreational shooters between the age of 6 and 16 of those 1.4 million hunted now the balance of those the difference is over 2.2 million kids some of those aren't of the age to hunt but in doing that they were counting kids that were hunting squirrels and rabbits okay okay there's another area, and that's why our target's so good for young people. We want young people to shoot our target so they too can gain that confidence, say, Dad, I want to go big game hunting because the targets tell me I'm ready. Right. Okay? Because we want to get some of those kids that aren't right now predetermined to be hunters to be hunters because we need to grow our hunting ranks. In the last three years, we've dropped from 7% to 4.5%. Wyoming came up with the statistics I read lately. In the last five years, male hunting participation has dropped by 0.5%. Women involved hunting has grown by almost 9%. Women in the listening audience, we love you and want you in the hunting industry. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we need you. We want you. You guys are fantastic hunters. In fact, the women we've met are more concerned about skill, ethics, no doubt than the it. men are. Yep, no doubt about and it. And so they're a great example to all of us. And we want to encourage anyone considering to get into hunting, use our targets. They'll help you. And there's so many. There's so many great women's groups around. We have two of them here at the show. Yes, Donnell okay. and Lisa. Donnell and Lisa are fabulous. Okay, so if you're a woman and you want to get involved in this sport, come down to the show and meet these two divas. They are just awesome. Yes, they are. awesome. I want to switch gears here because I had okay. this thought. Do you know of Joel Turner? I don't know okay. Joel. Joel Turner does uh, IQ... IQ 
shooting, I think. Oh, he calls it bow IQ for archery, but he also does sniper training. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's it's this controlled process okay. of shooting uh, a closed loop. And what that means, a closed... Uh, Joel, please forgive me if I misquote you here because he's. I've listened to a lot of his stuff and I've actually practiced it because I had a, a, a bout of target panic that was severe. Okay. And so I started reaching out because... And, and, and shooting a rifle is not that dissimilar from shooting a bow accurately because it's a process. Now, when you, you do have an advantage in the fact that you can dry fire a rifle, okay? There's no explosion. But ideally, by dry firing a rifle... Click, click, click. And what you're looking at is you're looking at the uh, my response to an explosion that's going to happen. Yes. Okay? You can dry fire. Well, that's all fun and good. But the way Joel preaches is your body is designed to protect yourself from an explosion. Yes. Okay? So you're, there are, are, are automatic uh, impulses in our bodies that are going to maybe flinch up you know there's going to be a kick coming okay same thing with bow but i can't dry fire a bow right so he talks about there's a, there's still an explosion in bow hunting when the bow or, or bow shooting when the bow goes off there is definitely uh, uh, energy being released let's and call it that yeah, yeah. yeah and absorbed so what do you do you grip the bow you 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 all of these things when you're expecting it to go off you're you're expecting it to go off. We've got this little uh, boat in the middle of the aisle, um, and and so with that being said, he coaches a closed loop, which teaches you you can stop the action at any time. Okay, I'm sitting down. I'm on a rifle. Mm-hmm. Everything boom. It's not quite right. You go to squeeze the trigger. It's not on target. If you're not shooting a closed-loop system, you squeeze the trigger and you just miss or hit a bad shot. Mm-hmm. In a closed-loop sh- shooting system, you stop and you let up on the trigger. Same thing with the bow. When I'm pulling through on a bow, notice how I shoot a rifle right-handed and I shoot I a bow left-handed? Yeah. I'm left-eye-dominant. Okay. But I learned to shoot everything right-handed. So when I started shooting a bow 15, 18 years ago, whatever, I switched and I found out I was so left-eye-dominant. Uh, I had LASIK surgery, and I went r- extremely left eye dominant after that. Um, I sh- just started shooting. Bo- I switched, started shooting a bow left handed. I've never been able to do that with a gun because I don't shoot a rifle or a shotgun right, that much. much. Yeah. Um, so what I learned in target panic is I'm at full draw and I'm on the target and I can't get. I can't. You know, I I, I freak out because I know it's going to go off. So what he has been teaching, and I think this is true for sniper, for long distance shooting, for shooting in general, is the ability to be able to say, I'm going to shoot it, I'm going to shoot it correctly, or I'm not going to shoot it at all. And I'm telling you what, it was a total mind change when I learned, oh, I'm going to let down. Because an open loop system again Joel if I'm saying this wrong please forgive me but the the, abil- the inability to stop the shot is where you make bad decisions yes and that's that whole idea with the alpha bow hunting the same thing is the ability to have pre-thought this out and go mm, this is not right I'm going to let down uh, same yeah. thing probably with a rifle here I am and I'm out of breath and I cannot keep the dang crosshairs on the target even at a hundred yards absolutely and yeah, for I've me to that. pull yeah. out of the shot 
that is that you are truly in control of your shot process. It's not about thinking, I gotta hold the target, I gotta hold the crosshairs on the target. No, it's about allowing, because your mind, visual cues, you'll keep it on the target. It's the trigger pull. It's the, the release of the arrow where you're pulling through the shot and you're allowing that tar that your, your pin to float on that target in that kill zone, but you're not trying to hold it there. Because if you're trying to hold it there, you're not concentrating on the process and you're not thinking. And you have no ability at that point to go, oh, it's not right. I'm going to let down. So I know we're going a little bit out, but this no, is, I think this, this all is, plays together. It does, because one of the things we hadn't talked about is you described our target. There are concentric circles and there's a center three-quarter inch wide black bullseye. Then right below it, there are three other bullseyes. And what they're set up for is a traditional scope and a traditional zero. So my 30-06 is sighted in two inches high at 100. So since the target's set at 100, there's a bullseye two inches below Got the center you. bullseye. Got you. So that's where I am. My seven millimeter is sighted three inches high at 100. I hold it the second one. And then I have a friend that has a gun four inches high. So those are set for you to hold your gun for what it's zeroed at to then punch out in the center which is our radius of measurement right we did eight months of study on those three other bullseyes and what we found was and this is why with our target if you have an adjustable turret to start with our target dial it to 100 shoot the center bullseye as you want to improve dial it so you could hold on our two inches low bullseye because it's mind training, it's focus training is go. what we call. Right. The old aim small, miss small, mm -hmm. don't aim at the leopard, aim at the spot on, on the, the leopard. leopard right. This teaches your mind to aim where you want it to. Not, your mind is going to want to look at that center bullseye because it's concentric circles. It's going to draw you like a hypnotist right. to that center circle. You're going to train yourself to hold at a different place. And that mind training is part of that closed loop teaching process. Because it's gonna tell you that I need to hold there. So our target has that. That's one of those subtle teaching things that you learn the more you shoot it, as well as our lines to teach not canting the rifle. Right. So there's different training techniques that are there. Now, one of the things that all shooters need to think about is their system okay when i grew up under the nra uh, shooting system they had you breathe breathe then you took a deep breath you let half of it out right and then you shot right it's a different world today all the snipers and all the shooters now have changed that when you breathe and you let out you have two to five seconds depending upon how much condition you're in. So I might have two seconds or a second and a half. <laughs> okay. That's when it's best to shoot. Mm. When you've let your breath out, that is the calmest you'll be to shoot. So in shooting, we practice, we teach that you need to kind of know the six basics to improve your shooting. Okay. You've got to know sight picture. You gotta know breathing. You gotta know trigger squeeze. You gotta know follow through because follow through helps you understand proper positioning. When you shoot in practice and when the gun settles down from the jump 
if you're not on the target that you just shot at, your position is not correct. Correct. So starting shooting these in a practice condition is going to help you get your your position correct so that you can be more effective. And when, when you learn that, you'll do it in the field. So one of the things we have taught is a thing I learned is that a lot of the shooters that come to us have a little bit of a flinch. They're anticipating that. And it is, as you said, it is a body's natural protection thing. Right. So guys and gals, if you're flinching, pre-thinking about that kick or the noise, it's a natural thing. Your body's trying to protect you. So you've got to go through a system that tries to take that away. And one of the things that we have tried and have some success with, there's probably better systems out there than this, is that when you're looking through that scope and you're squeezing that trigger slowly, it's supposed to surprise you when the gun goes right. off, but your body's anticipating it. Right. Look through that scope and have your mind think that you're going to push those crosshairs towards the animal. Okay? All of a sudden, your mind is thinking about pushing the crosshairs towards the animal. It's not thinking about the shock that's exactly. coming. Exactly. It's very similar to what you're teaching. And what that'll do is help you not anticipate that. What we found, too, is people anticipate more in practice than they do in the field. No doubt about okay? it. Okay? No You'd doubt agree, about right? it. I would, I would yeah. totally agree with that. But people get discouraged when they flinch, and that's why there's so many other things you do. But for your listeners, if you have that pre-shot flinch using a rifle... Go in and practice a little bit and try that. When you're looking through that scope while you're squeezing, you're pushing those crosshairs right into where you want to hit that animal. And with you doing that, your mind is going to be thinking about pushing the crosshairs in it. Now, be careful that you're not leaning into your gun as you push. Make sure it's mental and through your right, eyes. Right. But if you're doing that, your mind's going to concentrate on that and not on the trigger squeeze. Yeah. And you'll improve your shooting tremendously, right. just like you found when you closed the loop for you, right. it helped you. And, 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 and you'll also be able to step out of that shot easier. if you need to. Yes. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. And we that's why we think practicing those decision moments... You have that focus training, so you're focusing. Because one of the things we like about our targets is that they are vital size based. So when you're practicing and you want to get to that 300-yard elk shot, you can see those circles in your scope. And if your crosshairs are moving out beyond that 300-yard circle, you're not steady enough. Right. Do not time it that when you go across the center, drive you pull by. it a drive-by. <laughs> yeah. It's not, that's not what you want. Right. Practice your position or get steadier so that that crosshair's always in that circle. Then when you pull the trigger, you're always going to be in that circle. Sure, sure a little, uh, I, I'm, not an ex, I'm not a guy that goes out and puts thousands of rounds downrange. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. I, to, I've done some rifle hunting lately because uh, I was in Kentucky. I was hunting elk in Kentucky. Wow. Yeah, it was awesome. Great opportunity. And I uh, had missed a big bull, and I hunted up to when rifle started. And um, so then I was helping another individual get a bull, and she killed a, this gal. She's awesome. She killed a, 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 this huge bull. And I, it was on my last day. And we're videoing all this, and, and I, uh, I'm after the, the same bull I missed. Okay. Okay. But I don't know he's in there. I got this bull bugling, and we're set up, and we get in a position, and I catch a glimpse of him. 
and he's down below me and Kentucky is thick. It makes us it makes me crave oak brush. That's how oh, thick wow. it is. I mean wow. that's crazy, right? Yeah. But it's got briars up to your thighs and then on top of that autumn olives, which are like Russian olives if you okay. if you yeah. want to look at them that way. And and then there's big timber, but the big timber is usually on your north face and slopes and stuff like that. And so I get a glimpse of this bull. All I see is his antlers turn around, and I'm like, oh, did I spook him? And, and I got a rifle in my hand now. So we go, and we turn around, and we're like, oh, darn it. And all of a sudden, he bugles, and he, when he spun around, he's coming back over this knob. Well, it's so thick there. Well, I'm used to, in our country, growing up in New Mexico and then hunting elk in Colorado, if a bull wants to go through something, he just goes through it. Yes, he does. It doesn't, that doesn't happen. It's too thick. They'll go around it. But he was up here. He had cows up here. He was not going to come through. I thought he was. I set up. I thought I was going to shoot him at 20 yards when he busted through this clump yeah. of autumn yep. And I, one of my, my cameramen, but I had two cameramen, one of them went back to try and call, to try and call him through. And he just happened to get to elevation and the bull stepped out in the only opening on that whole knob. He's probably back behind us 150 yards or so, maybe 200. And I, I just happened to, and he's bugling. My buddy's bugling, he's bugling. I mean, I, he, yeah, I think he's gonna run forth, me over, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but he's not moving towards me anymore. He has come to a stop. I look back and I see my, Tanner, she's going. So I, come, 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 you know. Come. So I, get up I, me, here. I grab my gun, get off my shooting sticks, and and um, and the cameraman grabs the Gary grabs the camera, and we hustle back that 150 or 200 yards, whatever, and get set up and turn around. And sure enough, that son of a gun is in the only opening, opening. and he's standing there looking at us. And I get set up, <laughs> right? Yep. Drilling's through the roof. Yep. Heart's pounding. Um, I'm breathing harder than I normally would. And I get set up, and I start to apply pressure. This is the last day of a 10-day hunt. This is the great bull. I don't know it's the same one. I know it's a good bull. I don't. I don't. I didn't realize till, till it was afterwards. a great bull. But yeah. I knew it was a good bull. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And he is giving me that front shoulder. And I know if uh, seven mag. I know if I put it there, I he's done. But I can't. I can't get calmed down. I can't get the crosshairs to you know to settle i can't get the crosshairs to come so i'm yeah. applying trigger i pull out and i get just what you should do i know three times i had to do that yeah and then finally i settled back i can't believe he stood there that long he should have just spun and gone but he didn't know what we were because yeah. we were far enough away he couldn't smell us and when i made that shot it surprised the crud out of me and he whirled and took off and I'm like, oh, oh did man, because it, it was on a slope too. So he just whirled, and was uh, gone, and was gone because it was only a you know a small window, and uh, so of course we have the advantage. I can turn around and I can pull the video up. Yeah, you can look, rewind it, right. look, and his shoulder just crumples, and even Tanner goes, he's dead right there. Yeah. And what you just described, I think. As I get older, I, I think I, I'm, I'm learning more and more as mm -hmm. I get older. Yeah. Maybe, maybe my mind's more like a sponge. I don't know. But I did exactly that. And part of it was because Tanner was in my ear going, just take your time. Yep. Squeeze. Just take your time. And I knew I only had one shot. Only one shot. We went over. He wasn't 20 yards. Now, he went down because of the decline. But he, yeah. 
Yeah. And it, great bull. Great, great bull. bull. And, and I, can, I walked away from that going, okay, if I would have gone on, thrown that up there, and just done the drive-by or <gasps> held my breath, you know, and tried to hold it on there, I would, I, I don't know what I would have done. Maybe I would have hit him. Maybe I wouldn't have. Nothing good, probably. But nothing good would have come from it. And I was able, because of... I don't want to completely attribute it to uh, the the training, Joel Turner's bow IQ, but that shooting mentality. But I think it was because I was thinking the same way. I was completely in the shot. And the reason I know that is I pulled out three times. Yeah. I pulled off the shot three times, sat up, took a couple of breaths, got back into it, started applying my pressure. Nope, not good. You know, and I did that until finally I'm on, I'm applying, and the gun went off. Surprised you, didn't it? Oh, surprised the crud yeah. out of me. Yeah. So um, I think this is great. This has been a great conversation. This has been a great conversation. It, it does show we have so much in common. And, um, you know, a lot of the teaching things are the same that we see and apply it, but it all leads us down that path of, as hunters, we need to be ethical. We need to be teaching others. And we need to be using these systems that are out there, archery, muzzle-loading, rifle, whatever they are, to help us be better hunters because as I've gotten older, the experience is more important than the shot. Right. And if you live by that, you're going to have better, your shots are going to be better and you're going to have more experiences that are better than if you rush off and just shoot. Right. So if you really say the experience is more important than the shot, I'm going to guarantee you're going to have better, great right. shots and better memories right. than if you don't do that and you don't back off like you did three times. Right. You could have had a horrible experience. Right, right. Um, so Alpha doesn't have targets. Okay. We use numbers. And what right. I mean by that is I take, when I'm doing my, te my self-test, uh, I start at 20 yards, and um, I might use a 7. I, I like 7-inch because we're right. looking at 9-inch for mule deer, 5-inch for, for antelope. So I just right. find in the middle, right? Right. So seven, seven, three and a half by three, you know, that's my radius. Yep. Okay, and I'll, 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 put, I'll just draw a circle on a cardboard yep. flap, right? Yep. And um, at 20 yards, one shot. Yep. Okay. I, I document where it is. Because number one, that's going to help me. I might need to make some sight adjustments later on. Okay. Then I'm going to go and I'm going to shoot one at 25 yards. Same center, holding same center boom I document where that is I continue to shoot at these five yard increments until I go outside of my effective kill zone that's going to tell me at that day in those conditions shooting in that position not including elements and not including animal behavior that's my effective range yep. now that changes some days I go out there and I'll go all the way back to 90 yards and I am just smoking and sometimes yeah. i'm at 55 going i'm not shoot. so that's consistency and i think you you shoot you continue to shoot through that i think you're coming out tell me about the new bow target you guys are working on well um we're going to introduce a bow target we have the rest of our big game animal targets that we're going to be releasing um different animals each every month or two till we get our full line out that we've got developed we think this same concept of a target that has all the math already done for you on the target for archery targets because we're finding just like the long range shooting craze for rifle hunting 
We're seeing it in archery, too. You hear people talking about that 90-yard shot they took, Mm -hmm. that 100-yard shot they took with a bow. Mm -hmm. And we want a target that that helps a person understand what their real ability is and that equipment and what it takes to shoot. When I was archery hunting, I wouldn't shoot over 40 yards. And I have a sad archery story to tell you real quick. I drew an archery bighorn tag in Colorado, mm. above Georgetown, guys, mm-hmm. and everybody at that time knew there was a collared ram in there that was the new world record, world record now, Pope and Young. First day of the season, I saw him and eight other rams, and I got within 90 yards of them. Didn't take the shot that was beyond my ethical range. I hunted the whole rest of the season for that specific animal. Never could get closer than 90 yards. Best hunt memory of my life, okay? But there are people that have asked me over the years since then, why didn't you try that shot? And I told them I just couldn't because it wasn't right for me or the animal. Right. And so. I'm using that experience and my my bow hunting experience of years gone by that we're taking the same concept of these concentric proportional circles and helping people measure because we've established a certain distance for that animal vital and what we've done is just like you did when we did this anatomically about the animal because ballistically we can shoot through a shoulder with a rifle you can't do that with the bow. The sizes all change. Right. When you hold up our elk archery target versus our rifle target, you're going to say, you made a mistake, Dave. Right. It's smaller. No, much smaller. Right. That's why you're, what is the size of that? Uh, looks like about 14 inches? It's close to that. Okay. Close to well, that. And yeah. we've come up with nine. Right. Because if you get into that shoulder or you get mm. back into the liver and the and yep. the belly, there there's there's some mm. what ifs there. Well, the, we we don't call a liver shot a right a one shot a kill. one shot right, kill. Right. Okay, they'll die, that, but yeah. it could be days. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. so what we did is when we were researching all this, we did the same research of what it would be discount it well we had all the skeletal structure there right it said okay what did the skeletal structure protect and what do we have that we just have to be worried about ribs okay and we created our diameter circles created some distance um things that will when we get it before we release these we're we're gonna we're gonna meet with your host here and have him really give his professional opinion of how we have done this here's another factor that we don't have with rifle that we do have with archery and that's kinetic energy absolutely so in a situation you and i might pull 50 60 maybe even 70 pounds in a bow where if we could shoot to 60 yards i just use that just for an average let's Uh say 60 yards what's my kinetic energy at 27 inch draw maybe you have a 28 inch draw we might shoot the same but your kinetic energy is going to be higher yeah okay now what about my wife who shoots 45 pounds but let's say she can shoot 60 yards just as good as i can but her kinetic energy starts to drop off so dramatically that for for elk for example easton put out a chart 
um, and you can find it online, that 25 pounds of kinetic energy or below is a uh, small game, rabbit, squirrel yeah. stuff, right? right? 25 to 41, I believe, is small uh, deer, antelope, mm -hmm. okay? Then you get into elk and caribou, Bruce, so what you yeah. would call large game, um, or medium, uh, no, 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 it goes, yeah, small, then then me medium, large game would be uh, your elk, your caribou. Okay. Red stag, maybe. Then, then you get into your extreme big, a grizzly, buffalo, okay? So those are your four, and they categorize them. So I think uh, your deer is like, let's say, 40 to uh, 52 or something like that, and then 52 to 60, and then 63 and above is, and I'm, I'm just going right. off the top of my head, but something like that. So in a situation, there might be times where my, my wife's effective range is 60, but it's not an elk. It has to be 45 because of her kinetic energy. Absolutely. So that is something even extra we have to throw in there because look, you might be able to hit that spot all day long, but if you don't have the momentum, Downrange. It's 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 funny you said that because since we're doing targets by animal, it was our idea on the animal that we would list a range of kinetic energy. Good. So that if you're going to shoot an elk, okay, the target's been designed at this kinetic energy for our circles. So if you shoot more than that or less than that, it's different. But it's going to be an average, if you would, and kinetic energy. I think that's energy. the only way you could do. But, but then you can have a benchmark right. to say, okay, here's what it means so that you have different ones for antelope and whitetail and mule deer and, and, and all these things. And I think what we're doing, though, however you do it, the benchmark gives us confidence, number one. Yes. And a... A, I don't want to say a spreadsheet, but almost like a, a, a spreadsheet we can look at so that we've thought these things through before we head out in the field. And when we're taking shots, things can still happen. But yes. we have the confidence that we did all the homework, we did all the practice, we did everything we could. And shooting a closed loop system where we can pull out of the shot if it's not right. We know all these things exist. And then we can, with a, a pure heart, and a clear conscience, we can go. And now, like you said, the kid who says, Dad, see, I'm accurate enough. I'm ready to go deer hunting. Yes, son, you are. You've done the practice. You are showing that you're accurate enough versus a hope and pray. Now, on the other hand, I do think that we as uh, fathers, I'm a father, I want to, I want to put my daughter in a, in a position to succeed. Um, and sometimes we have to go out of our way to put them in a, into something that they might not be ready for deer, but we still need to get them. Maybe it's a hog hunt. Maybe it's a, a, a small game hunt. I don't know. Like with my, my daughter, it was, we started, we started with Bo. She never got a shot. Um, I'm, I'm kind of glad now looking back and then we went to rifle. So, so we were kind of backwards. A lot of people start with a rifle and then, and then they enjoy bow hunting. Well, I shoot bow all the time, so she's had a bow since she was tiny, so she's yeah. been shooting a bow. But um, she had enough kinetic energy. She was, she, I felt like she, she, was, uh, she could mm -hmm. aim good enough. Um, she could hit her mark. Um, but my wife finally told me, why don't you just take a rifle hunting? Let's get something something down. Let her have Put, success. Some, some sex. Exactly, success. So we did. We went out this last year at Wyoming, 
and a 6.5 Creedmoor, which doesn't have a huge kick. Now, it did have a big muzzle brake, so I made yep. sure she had plenty of ear protection because yep. it was loud as... But, you know, at 225 yards, we, cl we snuck up on this knoll. We kind of get animals totally nonchalant feeding yep. got her set up and it was i think i was more nervous than she was That's but when she laid are. when she laid behind that 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 gun very in prone position which she was very comfortable with and she started to squeeze i said whenever you're ready she's like i got this down yeah. and i'm of course watching and, and she you know starts to apply pressure gun goes off and then she goes dad we're Where'd the, where'd the, where'd the rifle, where'd the buck go? And, yeah. um, and of course she blinked as we right. all do. We all do. Well, the buck went straight down. Drop straight down. The way you want it. And I said, sweetie, the buck's right there. You, you, that Got was him. one shot. You did great. She's like, all right. Yeah. And I was a nervous wreck and she did wonderful. But I tell that story because, um, in that situation, I didn't also, we didn't have this huge buildup. It was just her being able to get out there relaxed. If she would have not felt comfortable, we would have pulled off that shot. Yeah. There was no pressure. So, I, I, I tried to not do this. Shoot him. Hurry. Shoot him. Hurry. Shoot. You know, you get that because I'm excited too. I just tried to say, hey, whenever you're ready. Well, speaking of that, I got two things. Number one, my, my kids started shooting when they were all very young. And I decided on the two boys, when they were 10, they could walk with us big game hunting. Uh -huh. Then in Colorado, when they could get a license, I took them antelope hunting. Oh, yeah. And the reason was because we, we hunted out by Craig, and mm -hmm. we had a rancher that was, since I was bringing kids, come on and hunt on my property. And the thing then with antelope there is if you set up for a shot and it wasn't good, we backed up on the shot because... You would see more antelope in another 30 minutes. Exactly. Okay. So it. So we had the time to teach them to only take the right shot. Okay. Because if you back off, you're going to have another chance. Right. Sometimes with elk or deer, if you back off that shot, you've, you're done for the whole season. Right. Okay. Now, this year, my... My son, Michael, part of the company, his girlfriend got a hunter safety card and drew a deer license. So, of course, since we sell ERT targets, he had to learn to shoot that come, come season. She was rated at 100 yards or closer on a three-pronged Jim Shockey steady stick. Okay. So, my son, if you look at the targets here, my son is rated kneeling 500 yards on an antelope. He's a great shot. So his shooting and hunting, he goes and shoots further than some people because he's able to. Right. But here he's now with someone that can only shoot under 100 yards. So it changed the whole how you hunt process. Right. The cool story is opening day, second season rifle deer here in Colorado, they get within 70 yards. Deers are in the trees. They set up the steady stick. They wait. Deers move out. The, the buck deer that was in the group gets it 63 yards, turns and looks at him. She shoots it. One shot, humane kill. And my son hopes he's got a woman that hunts now forever. Right. Okay. But even if the first time you go, you're not 12 or 14 and you're 30, 
you need to set it up for success. Right. And success, again, is what we're teaching, that doing it right. Because then they're going to have success and they're going to tie success with doing it correctly. So if you're out there and you're going to take your kids, the good thing is take them where you can, have a chance to back off and do it right. And that can be squirrel hunting, it can be rabbit hunting, it can be anything. Here's a fun statistic from the math guy here, okay? In America today, well, 2016 statistics, 718,000 elk hunters in America. 1.4 million rabbit hunters. Where do you think those extra are coming from? Those are our kids, folks. Right. Okay. So you don't have to start them out big. Right. But even when you're teaching them on the rabbits or the squirrels or other things, make sure that you're teaching them right. The same skills, the breathing, the pausing, the sight, the follow through, the, the if it's not right, if that rabbit moves a little bit, wait for it. Right. Reset up on it. You teach those things, they're going to have that skill forever. Yeah. And you're going to be a proud dad forever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think that's um, good. I think that's good. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. This has been great. Thank you so much. And how can people get a hold of you guys and follow okay. you? You do social media? What's? Yeah, we do. We do social media. In fact, we're new to social media because of my age that you learned about <laughs> earlier. So we are on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We'd love for you to follow us. Uh, we have a website. ERT Targets or? It's EffectiveRangeTargets.com. Okay. And on there, we have videos on how to use our targets. We're going to do a video on basic shooting skills. We're going to introduce that in about a month. We certainly have an online store. You can buy our targets online. We ship anywhere. We have a contact page, a contact block on the very first page. You can write, you can reach out, get on our email address thing. You can ask questions. If you do, I'm gonna be the one to call you or contact okay. you and communicate with you. If you're here at the show, I'm, I, uh, I have my own cards here, and so I'm gonna give out to your listeners my personal email address. Okay. So it's simple, it's Dave at EffectiveRangeTargets.com. If you have a question or comments, email me directly, and I'll be the one to respond directly back to you. Okay. And what are your Instagram handles? Um, you know what? Again, my age. What? My age. I'm. I'm waving we're, we're, my we're son over. Like over. What's yeah. the Instagram handle? Uh, at JMA Outdoors. At JMA Outdoors. Same thing for Facebook. Okay. okay. So at JMA, which is Mike. John Michael. John Michael. John Michael okay. Uh, so J at JMA Outdoors. Okay. Yeah. Well, great. That's been great. Thanks. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for talking with us, and for you listeners, as always, we want you guys to go out, find your wild, find what inspires you, and embrace it. God bless, and we'll talk to you later. Amen to that. <laughs>